The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Rainmaker FM. <laughs> And welcome back to another special edition of The Writer Files called The Best of the Writer's Brain. A series neuroscientist Michael Gribko and I started in 2015 where I enlisted his help to give us a tour of the inner workings of the writer's process. Have you ever wondered why storytelling is such an omnipresent theme of human life? As we take a short summer hiatus to book new guests for the upcoming season, I thought I'd put all of these enlightening episodes in one place. In part three of the series, I invited my friend, research scientist Michael Gribko of the Department of Psychology at the University of Washington back onto the show to help me define storytelling from a scientific standpoint. In this file, Michael and I discuss why storytelling is the default mode of human communication, how empathy makes storytelling such an effective tool, why Hollywood continually taps into the hero's journey, why reading fiction makes us more empathetic, and where humanity would be without storytelling. If you missed the first two episodes of The Best of the Writer's Brain, you can find those on writerfiles.fm, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you tune in. Cheers. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. 
Michael Gribko. Welcome back to the Rider Files. Hello, Kelvin. Thanks for having me back. So we're back with a segment that we call the Writer's Brain. And I think we've been building up to this episode where, and it's the third part of, I guess we could say a multi-part series. We've talked about how neuroscience looks at creativity, right? Right. And that's an important building block. And then we've talked about kind of how you look at empathy and the importance of both of those in, you know, good writing, I guess. Right. So here we are. And I think this is the piece that we've both been kind of itching to talk about, which is right. We've been building up to this. Yeah. How neuroscience looks at storytelling. And this is cool stuff. I mean, this is like, anyway, let's get into it. So we know what storytelling is. We, we we're constantly telling each other stories and ourselves stories, but why do human beings tell stories and why is that kind of like the default mode of our, I don't know, civilization or our communication at this point? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a big question. There's a lot, a lot going on there and it's really pretty fascinating and, you know, in anticipation for this, I've been thinking about for a while and obviously there's something there, you know, storytelling has been going on for a long, long time. There's evidence of it in, I don't know how many, I don't want to say every culture, but many cultures, you know, have some form of storytelling and it goes back. Sure. Pretty much as far as we can see, you know, it's 20,000 years or so. (laughs) And maybe longer, you know, who like, right. You know, the uh, record is just so good and well-kept, you know, we, we can't say for sure how long it's been going on, but people are telling for stories for almost, you know, Seems like a part of humanity, part of what makes us human. So, yeah, that's the first interesting question. It's like, if it's been going on this this long, carried on, and, and you see the rise in different cultures, possibly independently, why? What's There's got to be a reason for it. And, you know, one of the main things, I think, is that storytelling has proven an effective means of delivering information. And when I think of storytelling now, and like the purpose of storytelling it seems to span this kind of spectrum to me where you have really like didactic storytelling and, and a story that has a lot of moral meaning or, or some lesson to be learned at the end to storytelling that's more pleasurable. And we just do it you know, to, um, for enjoyment. Escapism. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the important part is is the, the didactic point. And I think that's what's carried it along, you know, this long is um, this an effective way to deliver information. And, you know, and the question is why, why is it better to tell a story than to spew out facts or tell someone straight up what's going on? Yeah. And this is why I think our our previous conversations are a good uh, segue into this about creativity and empathy. Mm -hmm. And it's that empathy, I think, which is, is why storytelling is such an effective mechanism. And so last time we, you know, we talked about empathy and empathy in marketing mm. and why that was important and why it's important to have this emotional response in the audience. And basically, don't want to rehash the whole thing again, but information is more memorable when we add weight to it. And a great way to add weight is to trigger an emotional response in the, in the viewer. Yeah. And a great way to do this, you know, if the viewer's empathizing with the characters in the story. 
So therefore, if if we write a good story, it's more likely the the viewers will empathize with the characters and then the content of that story will be more memorable. Hmm. Yeah. So we're giving order to kind of a world of chaos um, and wrote, you know, facts or, you know, just random streams of information. They're not writing these pathways that we need to learn without that kind of. Right. Without that storytelling element. So this is something that has been around forever because it's an effective tool for learning. Right. And I think it's, it's because it's tapping into someone's emotion, their sense of empathy and this theory of mind. And so we can actually, it keeps our attention better. And then also by attaching that emotion to it, it makes it more memorable. And what's interesting, you know, we talked about during our empathy conversation, we talked about the um, discovery of mirror systems and you know, these are systems when they're active, when an individual performs an action or witnesses someone else performing an action. And a similar experiment was done with reading. So a group in Washington University in St. Louis, which was led by Jeffrey Zacks, did a similar study with, you know, again, using MRI, which we talked about before, so I won't go into too deeply, but it's a, it's a way of inferring brain activity in certain regions by measuring an increase in blood flow. So this group using fMRI showed that brain areas involved in things like spatial location, goal-directed activity, and object manipulation became active at points in the observer that correlated to aspects of a story that the observer was reading. So we see again that there's evidence that we have sort of a mirroring behavior is triggered when we read a story just like it would be if we were witnessing an event. So it looks like the same thing is happening here. So we read a story and we trigger this empathy. And that's probably what's, you know, so it's, a, it's, it's, we're kind of a part of us is living the story. We're kind of really, yeah. our brain is, is acting as if we were going through the same situations. So that's kind of why storytelling is, is so powerful and probably why it's been around for so long. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is why Hollywood makes billions and billions of dollars capitalizing right, on, right, right. you know, telling and retelling the same stories over and over because it's impossible for us to really resist that. Yeah. Just getting immersed. The draw. Yeah. The being whisked away by these, these monomyths, so to speak of, I know I've brought this up before, but in screenwriting, they give you two books when you, when you start kind of studying the art of, of writing stories for the screen. And the first one is Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, where, you know, and lots of marketers and, and writers talk about the hero's journey and kind of that that formula for storytelling where, you know, that's yeah, a popular one. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of, you know, take any of, of these great stories, you kind of you kind of become the hero when you when you get truly swept away by a great story. And that's why you know, Disney does so well. And that's why George Lucas, you know, admittedly had tapped into Joseph Campbell's, you know, kind of uh, structure for, for mythology. But, you know, to come back to storytelling and why it is so effective, or at least, you know, why we do it and how to, how to really do it better, I guess, is, is, is where we're going with this. Right. And that's another thing. So an, another aspect I thought about storytelling when I was preparing for this is, and you kind of brought it up where we're all telling stories 
And I think stories actually help also help the person who's telling the story. And this gets into like advice that was given to me and advice I sort of pass on to people now when I'm preparing a scientific presentation. And that's kind of make a story out of it and it should have a flow. And, you know, I thought about this as I was preparing for this, for our our, uh, podcast here on storytelling. And why is that? You know, why do I give this advice? And, you know, I really started thinking about it. And as a presenter, it helps us sort of line up our facts. And when we get really immersed into a certain topic and we have to present on that topic, and if it's a data-heavy or fact-heavy topic we have to present, it's really easy for the presenter to get up there and just start spewing out facts. Right. And this is because the presenter sort of sees the connectedness of all these facts. And to the audience who isn't as familiar with this information, who doesn't know all these connections, it can be very confusing if you go up there and just start spewing facts. So when I think of a scientific presentation, when I try to line it up as a story, when I think about making a story out of it, what I'm doing is I'm lining up these facts in a logical way and sort of create a narrative that helps me present the information with a flow in a logical way to the audience. So I think storytelling also, not only are there these benefits of the audience empathizing and having an emotional response and and being more interested in the information being presented, but there's also the benefit to the storyteller to kind of force that person into making a logical story out of the information they're presenting. So it's not just jumbled mess, a bunch of facts getting thrown at you. So that's a benefit of storytelling as well. Yeah. And lots of, lots of great, I mean, when I think of great storytelling, at least from like a scientific standpoint, you know, I think of like these great Ted talks that you'll stumble upon or, or discover that are really like great stories being told by, you know, uh, charismatic or just like truly compelling individuals. You know, it's not that, not that there's, I'm certain, I'm certain that there are like truly intelligent people that can't do that. (laughs) They can't get up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a skill. It's something you have to work at. It's something I've worked at and it's something, um, like I said, this is advice I give to, to, you know, graduate students and things now when they're presenting their talks, this is, it's a hurdle that a lot of people have to get over. Yeah. And um, I like that you brought up Ted talks again and, and science, because that's a theme I've seen in a lot of Ted talks they all seem to be this kind of hero theme, you know, and even the science ones and whatever, you know, it's some certain molecule or even that person's personal quest. But you see that that sort of hero, you know, yeah. conquering. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's still present. That's even in science talks, it's kind of falls that format. It does. It does. And when you look at it, you can kind of, and you know, I was going to mention the second screenwriting book really quick that they give you when you walk through the door is Robert McKee's story. And McKee breaks that into basically breaks like great, a great story into five parts. It's like the inciting incident, progressive complications, a crisis, climax and resolution. And seriously, when, when you look at like a, a Ted talk that has like a a million views, I think they all got that book. Yeah, no, <laughs> you can put that you can put that uh, five part template on top of those and see exactly yeah. why they're so effective. <laughs> yeah, so storytelling, whether it's yeah, some fictitious tale or you're trying to deliver a fact 
burdened, you know, story, fact burdened message. Yeah. Has a similar theme to the, in a similar, I don't know, blueprint to the structure of it. So. Yeah. I like that you say blueprint and so many, you know, facets of, you know, the different storytelling departments uh, as in, you know, screenwriting, playwriting, TV writing, yeah, copywriting. They all use blueprints, at least at the start for kind of mapping out. Sure. You know, these blueprints aren't necessarily designed to help you find original material. That's up to you. Clearly, each and every audience is going to have a different, you know, going to respond better to a different type of story. Yeah. But those blueprints are, are helpful starting yeah, out. How are, you, how are you going to arrange the information you're delivering? And that's what's important. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about does reading fiction make us more empathetic? Does reading or even watching fictional stories make us more empathetic? And we both read this article in the guardian yeah the guardian the reading fiction improves empathy yeah study finds so i guess that well you can talk a little bit more about this from your perspective but i don't know i mean i think great writing certainly helps us to kind of work out different problems in our own lives (laughs) even though they they might not be the exact problems we're having we're, we're kind of you know, I think this is why, why great writers are, are masters of brevity. You know, they don't tell the whole story. They just, they kind of, you know, they're, they're painting the canvas with like really like just bold brush strokes, but leaving a lot to the imagination. Right, so right. maybe you could touch on that a little bit. Is that valid? Does reading, does studying, does studying stories make us more empathetic? Right. Does reading. Yeah. Well, I think, so I think the Guardian, the, the article published in the Guardian, does a pretty good job at summarizing the original article, which I found, and this was published by I guess Kid and Castano, if I'm pronouncing that right. And the article is "Reading Fiction Improves Theory of Mind." This was the original research article, and yeah, it seems seems like their findings were accurate accurately described in the Guardian article. And so basically they used, they just had people read some passages, some literary passages, and then gave them some tests to see if their sense of empathy and theory of mind were improved. And these tests have been pretty well vetted. So the, you know, the conclusion was that yes, reading literary fiction enhances the ability to detect and understand other people's emotion. So basically, you know, we have to talk about theory of mind here a little bit and describe that. So empathy by itself is kind of useless. Empathy is, is just a shared emotion. So if you were angry or sad and I saw that, I would become angry and sad. And that by itself doesn't do us much good. We just have two sad people instead of one. <laughs> you know, or two mad people instead of one. And then terrible things happen. That's how wars start, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but theory of mind is, and it's also referred to as mentaliz- mentalizing or mentalization. This is our ability to sort of draw conclusions regarding why the person we're observing is having a certain response. And this in turn allows us to take action. So I can do something to alleviate or try to alleviate your sadness or anger. And if you think about it, you know, this is a 
very important aspect to us are us being human and us living in societies. So if if witnessing and, and reading literary fiction and, and partaking in storytelling increases our theory of mind, we may end up being better people and taking you know more appropriate action to alleviate conflict or emotional pain in hmm. our fellow humans. You know, I'm kind of stretching out a bit here because the original article was they were only able to look at shortly after an individual read a literary passage. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to to say if this was a long lasting effect or not. But you know, so I hmm. guess we're getting into we're sort of getting into the edge of of what neuroscience can really test empirically on the subject and sure. kind of delving into the speculation aspect of it. Just a quick pause to mention that the Writer Files is brought to you by the Rainmaker platform, the complete website solution for content marketers and online entrepreneurs. Find out more and take a free 14-day test drive at rainmaker.fm slash platform. I guess the next logical question is, you know, I hear so many writers say that at the end of the day, you know, to unwind, they will pick up a good book or turn on the Netflix and watch their favorite show. And they're escaping into story, basically. Yeah. These same people who create these vast, amazing stories or, you know, are spending lots of time studying story. Basically, you know, what, what is it about the story that we find so pleasurable? Like, why do we just, why can't we get enough story? I mean, we spend our whole, I feel like we spend our whole lives inundated with stories and, and we, we just keep going back. I mean, (laughs) like it's so hard to escape it, but it, but we love it. It's an addiction, right? It's a interesting question. And yeah, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, storytelling spanning this this spectrum from didactic to purely pleasurable. When you say didactic, I mean, I keep thinking like the Bible, like that's like almost didactic text. Yeah. I mean, there's sense. there's a lot of storytelling, you think of children's stories, things like that. They they're meant to teach teach morals and values and how to behave. Yeah. And you can even think of, you know, there's there's other texts that that work like that and storytelling is prone to be a effective means to tell um do that and a lot of cultures i think also use storytelling as sort of an archive of their history right you know they don't have a written libraries and, and storytelling has been important in that sense to pass along traditions and just the history of their society and their sure. culture and isn't that because so much of it was verbal right but then yeah we get the they, they were enshrined things in stories almost. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, and it, and because it made it a better way to deliver the message. Sure. Instead of, again, instead of just spewing out facts and that's because it's pleasurable getting back to what you're talking about. So that's, so from a neuroscience perspective, I think we can, we have a pretty good idea of why it's effective, why storytelling is effective at delivering facts and information. But we don't have a great idea about is why is it so pleasurable? And, you know, this is a very, very difficult question to answer empirically. And that's because storytelling is this, is a complex human behavior. And, you know, as far as I know, you know, there isn't another animal out there that does this. And, you know, for these reasons, it makes it very difficult to study on the neuronal level. It's a complex human behavior and we don't have any good animal models to use. And furthermore, if you look at the mechanisms we're using to look at it, something like 
MRI. Mm-hmm. You know, this, again, this is a machine, big clunky machine that you have to sit in. So can't imagine, you know, to really get at why storytelling is important. You know, someone would have to spend a lot of time in an MRI machine and to find out what's going on in their brain over time. Mm-hmm. And that's just not practical. Mm. So, yeah, unfortunately, we've kind of reached the edge of, of the capabilities of neuroscience and our technical abilities. But I think we can speculate a bit on this, uh, of the pleasure aspect. And I think that's why this article by uh, Kid and Castaño is so important, is it's, it's starting to answer some of these questions. And if our sense of empathy and theory of mind increase with storytelling, that you know, I can envision that over time, we've sort of built up a neuronal reward mechanism when we encounter storytelling. And, and, you know, these are seen throughout the nervous system. We have, you know, a dopamine system and opioid system that sort of these hedonic centers in the brain that become activated when something pleasurable is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, we have sugary food or fatty food. And I think possibly storytelling may be activating these same centers too. And the question is, you know, why would this happen? And, you know, this article by Kid and Castaño may have the answer in that if it is increasing our theory of mind and improving our interactions with other people and making us more pleasant and easier to get along, you know, groups of people, that may be why it's so pleasurable because we are social. Yeah. And this is so important to our success is, uh, is our ability to, to um, act in groups and to form societies. So possibly that's if storytelling, if what we're getting out of storytelling is an improved sense of community and society, there may be a system there that's encouraging it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'll have to find out or some neuroscientists are going to have to start thinking of a way to test this little theory of mine here, but. Hmm. (laughs) You want to put me in an MRI and have me watch the entirety of Game of Thrones from start to finish? Well, if you're volunteering, (laughs) if you're going to sit in an MRI for, I don't know, that would take days, I think. (laughs) <laughs> and we can find out what's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, that brings me to another question, which I'm sure that we can't answer in the span of this podcast. But why do we like tragedy so much? Like from Shakespeare to Game yeah. of Thrones, for instance. You know, I That's think of like gory stuff. This, yeah. yeah. But like, and we like it. Why are we so attracted to the dark, these dark stories like Gone Girl or, you know, I mean, House of Cards, or I think of like a guy who built his whole career around dark, you know, darker places in our mind, like Stephen King, you know, but then I think about, you know, it's not all, you know, storytelling can't be all wish fulfillment, right? Because that would, that's, that's boring. Yeah. No one wants to watch Disney all the time, right? Right. If you get, if you (laughs) always get, but you you know, Disney taps into the, the story, story archetypes too. You know, there's always an inciting incident. There's something bad usually happens. Someone gets lost or someone is dead or, you know, I mean, they usually start with kind of a heartbreaking Bambi turn, but (laughs) yeah, it's like, it's almost like that's part that's kind of built in. And I'm sure there's not an answer to that question. But, you know, I mean, think about the last few great stories or TV shows or movies that you saw. I mean, they probably include some element of tragedy to them. Right. I don't know. When I think of, you know, like a recent young adult hit, it's uh, John Green's Fault in Our Stars. And, you know, it's about a young woman who's dying of cancer. Right. That's the that's the premise. 
And then she falls in love with another young man who's also dying of cancer. And, uh, you know, that was a, a very popular book right. and a very popular movie. And we can't get enough. Breaking Bad. <laughs> Breaking Bad. <laughs> we love a good antihero. That's, yeah, drug dealers and cancer. Yeah, yeah. that's got it all. So anyway. All the dark stuff. Why, why do you think that is? Can you speculate on that at all? Yeah, again, you know, we're talking about, you know, it's hard to really peer in the mind and, and, and get a neural, you know, understanding what's going on in the neurons yeah. to answer this question. And storytelling, another aspect to it, it's, and when we immerse ourselves in stories, I think it, it becomes sort of a testing ground for these life situations and, um, you know, for our emotions and social interactions. So what we're doing, we may be able to kind of play with our own emotions and learn about these interactions and sort of testing our own theory of mind in a safe setting because in the end, right. we can walk away from it unscathed. So the advantage may be that somehow we're learning how to deal with these situations mm -hmm. in, in a safe zone, if you will. So when we do encounter them in the real world, we'll be better emotionally and and prepared and socially prepared and we'll know have a better reaction to that person who's going through something sure you know being harassed by a psychopathic <laughs> drug dealing meth head or <laughs> yeah yeah the, the white walkers are chasing them down well i mean i think jonathan gottschall in his book the storytelling animal did say that you know fiction is an ancient form of problem solving and it does strengthen and reinforce those neural pathways that help us to learn. And I think the metaphor that he used was, or the simile was that, you know, airline pilots learn from simulators. Yeah. And, you know, that's how they keep cool under pressure with, you know, thousands of lives at, right. at stake, hundreds of hundreds of lives, tens of hundreds of lives. I don't know how many people sit on a plane. Hundreds, That's hundreds good. of lives at stake, you know, thousands of feet in the air and a giant piece of metal rocketing through the sky. How do they keep their cool? Well, they've learned to keep their cool right. through thousands of hours of flight simulation. Yeah. So storytelling may be our flight simulator for life. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But one more, you know, I want to bring up, and this is important in storytelling is for that to be effective. And I think this is important for writers to keep in mind you know, this story of storytelling is a testing ground, this flight simulator, where we can test things that are really extraordinary. You know, maybe situations we would never encounter. What's important for the writers to keep in mind is you also can't make it so out there that you lose the audience. Because sure. as soon as the audience loses that empathy, that connection, that believability, then the message is going to come across. Sure. You know, as soon as you think this will never happen in real life... And it's, yeah, kind of game over. Right. But that's what's always, you know, and those are the great authors to me, or the great storytellers are the ones that can really take you out there and keep your attention and keep you believing. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of like how you flip through Netflix for, you know, you can, you can be flipping through Netflix for an hour before you find a show, you and or your whomever you're watching TV with agree on based on your mood, you know, probably writers in whatever, you know, to whomever they're writing for need to take into consideration their audience first. I know we've talked about that before also. Right. 
that, you know, the kind of story you're telling really needs to be targeted to your audience. Yeah. You have to know your audience. You have to know your audience and you have to know their hopes, dreams, fears, and what mood they're going to be in when they they find whatever it is you're writing, whether you're marketing, doing marketing or uh, writing something purely to entertain people. So anyway, so, you know, where would we be without storytelling? I guess that's the million dollar question. Yeah. It'd be boring. Life would suck. I think we wouldn't daydream. We'd be just worker bees. We'd be drones, robots. Do androids dream of electric sheep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And it's, it's, seems like it's storytelling is so coupled to humanity, like we were talking about. It's been around forever and yeah. it appears in many cultures. Um, you know, would we even be here? Would, you know, how powerful is this and how important is it? And clearly we spend a lot of money on, on movies, books, theater. So it's important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So to tap into great storytelling, you know, for the good of humanity, what are we doing? Are we making, are we making sure that, that our audience is the, is the hero kind of at the center of, of that story that is really well-worn into our psyches already? I mean, we've been marketed to, we've been told stories from birth, from commercials to, you know, billboards to storybooks to movies and television and everything everything is really a story yeah wow yeah what is the role of the the observer in the storytelling process are they just getting immersed in the fantasy or they they actually think they're one of the characters yeah and it's probably going to vary from story to story and from individual to individual but yeah great storytelling the power of a great story yeah is really in the hands of the writer, I guess, is what we'll circle back to. <laughs> right. Well, and the writer understanding his or her audience. Every great story starts with a writer. Yes. Now. Yes. <laughs> but they need something to write about, right? So they right. need some event. So you have this cycle I can see forming here. Yeah. Where the writers are observing something in the world. They make it interesting and sell it back to the people they were observing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great scam you got going there, you writers. <laughs> <laughs> we really hold the key Yeah. to unlocking. You're getting all this material from us, and then you're making us pay to tell us about it. Right. So it, it brings us finally back to probably <laughs> input equals output. So the more great uh, storytelling we study and, and the more we learn and absorb the the better our stories will become. Yes. Does that make sense? It does to me. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Michael, I think we have reached a suitable conclusion, although I'm sure that you and I could talk about this for another hour or two. Yeah. As we have in the past, but I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for your time and for taking a break from your busy schedule over there and for chatting with me again. Oh, you're welcome. And I always enjoy these conversations. So, All right, my friend. Well, uh, I hope that you will revisit us here on The Writer Files. Yeah, I'd love to. I appreciate your time, and we will revisit The Writer's Brain very soon. Great. Thank you. Stay curious, my friends. Remember, it's no secret why great stories run the world. Thanks for joining me for a glimpse into the workings of The Writer's Brain. For more episodes of The Writer Files, or to leave us a comment or a question, drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. See you out there. <laughs>